Thank you for tuning into The World Game, a World Cup podcast. The podcast that will have everything you need to know about the World Cup. There will be recap episodes throughout the tournament, so you won't miss a storyline. Maybe there was a 90th minute game winning goal. Maybe there was some controversy. Either way, we'll dive right into it. My name is Peter Roman. I've loved football all my life, and thanks for joining me on this journey. Before we get going on the episode, I just want to talk about the migrant worker situation. So first, for anyone who hasn't listened to the opening episode of my podcast, go listen to it. I do a much longer take there, but I just want to reiterate the importance that, you know, there were a lot of workers that lost their lives in building stuff for this World Cup, and it should have never happened. And my heart goes out to the victims, to the families affected, and to the friends affected by the horrible human rights situation in Qatar in the buildup to this World Cup. So with that out of the way, let's get into the episode. All right, so this is the first recap episode of The World's Game, a World Cup podcast. As I said in the beginning, my name's Peter Roman. I'm going to dive in every few days into the games of the World Cup and talk about things I observed, things that were interesting, and, you know, what this means going forward. So let's start with the opening game of the tournament. Qatar played Ecuador in the opener, and Ecuador won this game 2-0 was the final score, Enter Valencia scoring both goals for Ecuador in the win. He scored a third one too, but that was disallowed, which I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to. There's a couple, I guess, other stories I'm going to talk about as well, but I'm going to start with the teams. So, starting with Ecuador. They played really well in this game. I think Ecuador very smartly came out, and they pressed really high on this Qatari team. They obviously, you know, worked well as a unit. They were clinical when they had their chances, a.k.a. Ander Valencia. And generally, I just thought they were way better. They had better players, but they also came out with a good game plan, executed the game plan, and ultimately, you know, they won the game, and they deserved to win the game. The only nitpick I can really find for Ecuador's performance is that they really should have won by more goals. And in a tournament like this, goal difference matters. So... You know, maybe that'll come back to bite them. Maybe it won't, but we'll have to wait and see on that one. But a great game for Ecuador. I think they should be very happy with the 2 nothing win. And like I said, their performance was really good. As for Qatar, so not so great for them, obviously. Qatar's goalkeeper, Saad Al-Sheeb, had a nightmare performance. He never looked comfortable in net. And just, man, I had no confidence in him, in him as a goalie. And he didn't look at it. And he didn't look like he had any confidence himself. Not a good game for him. Definitely not the way Qatar wanted to start either. But Qatar just, they had a really hard time playing out of the press. They had a hard time creating chances. And ultimately, they were never close in this game. They did have a couple chances in the second half that, you know, they came pretty close to scoring, but it was nothing really that spectacular. And so for that reason, you know, I think Qatar has to feel really disappointed because now they have to play Senegal and then they have to play Netherlands. And 
based on how those two teams played, which I'll get to in a minute, they shouldn't feel too optimistic about getting points in those games. And they need points. You know, if they don't get points in their next game, they're probably eliminated. That's usually how these things go. So not a good game for Qatar. It was kind of a fire drill from start to finish defensively, and they just looked completely second class in the game compared to Ecuador. Ecuador was way better than they were. So that was kind of the story of the game. The other stories I want to talk about quickly, the first one being the Qatari fans. So now, granted, in my opinion anyways, when you're picking a World Cup host, being, you know, crazy about the sport isn't like the number one priority. The number one priority should be, you know, things like human rights and, you know, do they have infrastructure and, you know, that type of stuff. But anyway, seeing the Qatari fans leaving after like halftime and the stadium being very empty for the World Cup opener for the first time this country has ever been in a World Cup is kind of upsetting I'm not gonna lie and obviously I don't have a lot of sympathy for the you know Qatari government hosting this thing but it kind of sucks as a fan of the sport where it's like you want to see the country that's hosting it actually care about it and when you have that many people leaving it's kind of disheartening in a lot of ways credit to Ecuador for making that happen by the way but also you know still still disappointing nonetheless disappointing I think is the good word for that one and then finally the last story I want to hit on with this game is the offside goal because Ecuador scored very early in this game and it was ruled out for offside and everyone on my Twitter timeline that I follow was basically like well why is that offside and you know what happened with this call and you can't tell me that's offside and look at this picture and blah 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 okay so first we calm down and second, we take a moment to remember, oh yeah, that's right, FIFA introduced new technology. So for those of you that don't know what it is, essentially, there was new offside technology that's been introduced. It's called semi-automated offside, and it's an extension of the video assistant referee system. Basically, there are like, I can't remember the exact number of cameras, but it's a very large number of cameras set up around the stadium in very strategic places and it kind of works a little bit like tennis's um hawk technology so if anyone's ever watched tennis tennis has the ability to basically track the ball as it goes and so you can find out exactly where it bounces and they do that so they can find out if the shots if a shot is in or not and the same kind of concept applies here for football where the players are basically being tracked. And so that way they will know at any time when a player touches the ball or you know gets involved and they're in an offside position. So that's how it works. It's all based on technology and it makes the offside rule a lot less gray and up to human determination. And it's more about, okay, we have a system now, we have a technology, that lets offside be more, I guess, forgiving for VAR refs. Because now it's just like the goal line technology. The referees, they all wear watches. And when the watch buzzes, it means the ball crossed the line. When the watch doesn't buzz, it means it didn't cross the line. It's a similar type of thing where the VAR 
is, you know, basically the technology lets VAR know this guy was offside. This guy was not offside. And so in Ecuador's case, one of their players was offside. And that's just how it is. And so the people that are complaining and whining and moaning and being very upset about this need to just relax, remember there's something new here and it's actually a good thing, a very good thing. And this technology should make the offside thing not a debate anymore. You're offside or you're not offside. And that's how it is. And it's a good thing. And people need to accept that. And the quick, the quicker they accept that, the quicker we can enjoy that we don't have to, you know, argue about offside calls and drawing lines and all these other things anymore, which I think is great. All right, on to the next game. Senegal and Netherlands. So, this game was really entertaining, and these were two good teams. Senegal might be missing their best player, but they're still African champions. They didn't win, you know, the Africa Cup of Nations because of Sadio Mane and only Sadio Mane. No, they have a good team. So, it made sense. Netherlands won this game. 2-0 was the final score. They got a last... I guess regulation last minute. Regulation last minute winner from Gakpo, their youngster, who they, you know, have a lot of high hopes for. And then Claussen ended up with a goal with no time left in stoppage time that, you know, helps pad the goal difference a little bit. On the actual run of play, this is a very even game. Both teams had pretty similar amounts of shots. Both teams had similar amounts of chances. And, you know, the difference was Gakpo was able to beat Mendy to a header and ended up scoring and I know a lot of people were upset about Mendy and they felt he should have done better as a goalkeeper and I don't completely disagree with that opinion I just think that as a goalkeeper I think he made the right decision to come out of the net and try and win the ball and he ended up not winning the ball Gakpo beat him there you know by like half a second and so you know what it's it kind of sucks it turned out that way for Senegal but in theory, I don't think he made the wrong decision coming out of the net. Because if he stays in the net, I mean, he's going to get a good header on and probably going to score anyways. And so I don't think staying in the net was the right decision. I think coming out and trying to punch the ball away was the correct decision. He just didn't get there fast enough. That's all. And it's just, you know, sometimes that's how it goes. So it sucks for Senegal, obviously. But nonetheless, I think Senegal played a really good game. I thought... Oh, by the way, side note, uh, losing Kuyate, I think, I hope he's not hurt, although there were a lot of injuries throughout the first two days, but Kuyate was a really big part of, I think, helping keep the Dutch at bay, and, you know, for Senegal's sake, they definitely need a little bit more of a finishing touch, but I felt a lot of their guys played really well. I thought they defended really well, keeping the Dutch um, out of dangerous areas for the most part. And, you know, Adrissa Gay had a really good chance. Dutch goalkeeper made a good save. You know, it happens sometimes. But I thought Senegal played well. For the Netherlands, they had more of the possession, which you would expect from a game like this. And it's pretty obvious that they really need Memphis Depay. Depay's coming off an injury, so, you know, he was only used as a, sub as a substitute in this game. But they need him a lot because when he came on, he made a real difference, I felt, for this team. Obviously, he set up the second goal for them. And I think the Netherlands, they have the quality. They survive, you know, I guess Ecuador will be a tough test for them too. But 
they kind of survived what possibly could be their toughest test in Group A. And winning Group A might come with a lot of benefits because, you know, we'll talk about Group B a little bit later. But for the Dutch, they found a way, got the result. It wasn't the greatest game ever, but they were playing a good opponent. And, you know, finding a way to win matters in a tournament like this. Next game, England and Iran as we move to Group B. So, England and Iran. I mean, I have to already, and I didn't expect it to happen this quickly, but I knew I was going to have to eventually. See, when I put out my preview episode, I was fully expecting to have to eat my own words um, on something I said. I didn't think it would be the, you know, what I said was I didn't expect a lot of high-scoring games from Group B, and I thought it would be a lot, you know, close games, low-scoring well, I've already had to eat my words on something on this podcast, so not a great start for me as far as my preview episode goes. But in my defense, Iran had only conceded four goals in Asian qualifying. England doesn't exactly light up the score on teams with good defenses, and Iran doesn't exactly allow many goals. And, you know, this is something that we can go back to previous tournaments for as well. But... I gotta give a tip of my hat to England. They were really good. England, they looked threatening. They were fast. They moved the ball well. They attacked really well. I thought they defended really well. Um, Like, here's the thing. They gave up, the second goal they gave up was kind of a like late, late goal in the game, you know, debatable penalty kick, that type of thing. But, The first goal was just Iran made a good play. You know, you can defend really well, and the other team just makes a good offensive play, and sometimes they score. And that's what Iran did on their goal. So for England, this was extremely impressive. They looked like a legitimate contender in this game. And getting the 6-2 win is huge because in tournaments like this, goal difference matters. So... Winning 6-2 against Iran, that matters. So for England, I mean, it was about as perfect a day as you could think of. And also shout out to Saka and Rashford scoring goals because these two players missed penalty kicks for England at the Euro final against Italy. And so to see them bounce back and have good games themselves, just great to see. You love to see that. You, well, you want it. What you want to see is when athletes, when they make mistakes or they mess up, that they don't put their head down and just, you know, they don't just put their head down and forget about it and just, you know, no, they remember it and they use that and they work hard and they come back and make sure that, you know, it doesn't happen again and then they try to make up for it. That's the stuff you want to see. You want to see athletes persevere from past mistakes and so that was nice to see for England's from England's perspective of course and then Iran so um let's see the positives positives um well I guess they scored a nice goal and I like their protest that's pretty much the end of where the good things for Iran. That's pretty much the end of the list right there for 
the positive things to take away from the match. It was awful for Iran. It really was. The defending, horrible, horrible defending. This team is built on defense. That's their bread and butter. They've been a great defensive team for the better part of the decade, like the last like 10 years. And it just was non-existent against England. Their defending was awful. And, you know, sure, they scored a nice goal and then got a second one really late when it didn't matter, but minus four goal difference in the same way that I talked it up for England, it's just as bad for Iran. They basically have to win their next game or they're eliminated because minus four is not something you come back from if you lose your second game. So tough one for Iran. Um, But like I said, you know, respect for them. They decided to make a protest. They decided to not sing the national anthem in protest of what's happening in their country. And I'm not going to get into everything that's happening there because I'm probably not the person to listen to on that. Probably someone who, you know, knows more about the situation than me. But I'm in full support of the protest stance they made. It couldn't have been easy. And so my respect to the Iranian players and that's pretty much all I have to say about this game. So, moving on to the last game of Group B, we had the United States and Wales. This game finished 1-1, the final score, and it was basically a tale of two halves. We had, in the first half, the United States was all over them. It was, they were moving the ball well. Wales, like, Wales couldn't get out of their own half. Wales were just completely under siege. The United States played some of the best football I've seen them play. And I, you know, watched CONCACAF qualifying, obviously. Very, very invested in that because of Canada. But this was, you know, one of the best halves of football I've seen for the Americans. They were great from start to finish of that first half. And they probably deserved more than one goal, but they did get the one goal. Christian Pulisic played in a pass for Wea. Wea poked it home. And they were fully, they fully deserved the one goal lead they had at halftime. And like I said, probably should have had more than one. So for Wales, the first half was awful. But the second half was pretty good. Now, there was a stretch where the U.S. did come back and dominate for like 10 minutes. But Wales were the better team in the second half. And they had most of the chances. And they came really close a few times. And then they got the break they needed. They took a throw in really quickly, which was really smart. And ball got played into Bale in the middle. Bale basically gets clattered from behind, penalty kick, and he steps up and scores the penalty kick to tie the game 1-1. From there, it got a little cagey because it felt like both teams didn't really want to lose, which makes sense. Again, in a tournament like this, losing your first game, really hurtful, and you obviously don't want to you know, take an L on the goal difference. So credit to both teams. I thought they you know, each played well in their own half. And if they can replicate those performances in their next games, then I think both should feel good about advancing. And that's kind of how I feel after this game. It's just that the United States are probably a little bit more disappointed than Wales are with the tie, but I don't think either team is, like, pissed. I think they're okay with it. And, you know, it'll come down to the fact that they both have to play Iran and they both have to play England. And if you're playing England, you know, hope you don't get killed like Iran did, but... You know, Iran is probably the team to beat right now in this group. And so Wales gets them next. So for Wales, 
that's your opportunity right there. And for England, and for the United States, they play England. So, you know, for them, trying to get a result against England, I think, will do wonders for them. But we'll be interesting to keep an eye on, nonetheless. But was a good game. was an entertaining game. And it was kind of nice to see the United States back on the World Cup stage. Even though, you know, some of their media have heavily overrated their own team, they're, you know, they're a good nation to have in the World Cup stage. So that brings us to the end of match day one for both Group A and Group B. So what's at stake for both groups going into match day two? Well, in match day two in Group A, we have Senegal, who, you know, after they lost, kind of need a win. We'll see how it goes. Qatar, who lost, kind of need a win. And those two play each other. So that should be good to see because we have two teams that need a win and they're going to face off with each other. And then the other game is Netherlands and Ecuador. And because both of these teams got wins in their first game, if either one beats the other decisively, that is almost certainly a ticket to the knockout stages of the World Cup. So a lot on the line for both teams in that game. In Group B, Iran is pretty much in a must-win situation, or at the very least get a tie, but realistically get a win against Wales. And then we have England and the United States on Black Friday, which should be great. I can't wait. There's a lot of history between these two teams. The game in 2010 was really entertaining as well. So if you haven't seen that game, by the way, England's goalkeeper spilled it to the American guy and he scored. And so it was a big deal because the Americans won the group in 2010. So if the Americans want to win the group again, they kind of need to beat England. But we'll see how it goes. Should be fun. And that is all I have for this episode. So I'm going to look forward to the next couple match days. And I will join you for my next episode, which will be reviewing the match days of a few other groups. And then, of course, getting ready for my home nation, Canada, to make their World Cup debut, their, or at least their first one since 1986 anyways. And so very excited for that. Thank you for listening to this episode of The World Game, a World Cup podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I will be doing reaction episodes throughout the tournament. The music is from Pixabay. The whole thing gets going on November 20th. So make sure you subscribe and don't miss a moment of the 2022 World Cup.